Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, we'll bring in our panelists. Got with me today, Scott Smelser, our program director. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well. Good. Good to see you today. Uh, we've also got Dan Bunting with us today. How are you today, Dan? I'm doing well. Good. All good right. to see you. Good to see you. And uh, joining us today as well as Patrick Brentlinger. How are you doing today, Patrick? Well, good. Thank you for Great. asking. Good. Good to see you guys today. Um, so uh, we'll turn it over to Scott. Scott, what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about character studies from the Gospel of John. So I'm going to start interviewing our panelists here about the characters that they've chosen to present. Uh, but first, I need to mention good news and bad news. Uh, if you've been tuned in the last couple of times, you've noticed that when I've been stopped for Wi-Fi at a McDonald's or a Taco Bell, the Wi-Fi freezes up or gets cut off partway through. The good news is today I am somewhere where my Wi-Fi will not get cut off. The bad news is if your favorite part of the broadcast is the part where Scott gets silenced and, and the rest of the crew goes on without me, then you're in for disappointment today. But be that as it may, Let's begin. And so uh, I've forgotten who the characters were that each person chose. We're going to go chronologically or uh, sequentially through the text. Jonathan, you're going to be talking about which biblical character in John? Uh, Nicodemus. I think I'm number two. All right. And Dan, you are? The Samaritan woman at the well. And Patrick? I'm going to be talking about Andrew. All right, so we'll be starting with Andrew, and then we'll go to Jonathan, and then we'll go to Dan. So Patrick, get us started there and show us what's going on with Andrew and what are some lessons we can learn from him. Well, starting in John chapter 1 and 35, you know, Jesus, the next day after John the Baptist declares him to be the Lamb of God, um, the two disciples who heard him speaking, they start following Jesus. And he turns, he says, what do you seek? And they say to him, Rabbi which translated means, means teacher. What are you saying? Where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And what I love about these guys is they, 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 they're so into what's going on. They're tuned right in. And as a result, they're following Jesus day one. You know, they're like, okay, John said he's the lamb of God. Off they go. And one of the two heard John speaking and followed him. And his, it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And the first thing he does is finds his own brother. And, he's, and he says to him, we have found the Messiah. And that's really who Andrew is. He's the guy who brings people to Jesus. You see this, you know, this is a, re, a little bit of a recurrent theme with him. Uh, when you consider John chapter six and Jesus, is, you know, when they're doing the feeding of the, the 5,000, you have this, you know, Jesus sort of throws out there, where are we going to buy bread so that all of these people will eat? And they're like, are you kidding me? You know, like, there's no way we can even do that. But Andrew brings the little boy to Jesus with the five barley loaves and the two fish. And he's like, this guy, you know, we, we've got this. And I just feel like we should be like Andrew, you know, we may only have, <laughs> we may only have two loaves, you know, uh, you know, or two or five barley loaves and two fish or the people we're meeting may only have that, but that's okay. Because Jesus is all sufficient for the need. He's after all the Messiah. I just, I'm really touched by that in terms of my own work as an evangelist to, you know, don't hold back. Go find the, the little one who only has a little bit 
because you never know how many are going to be fed from that one. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, Andrew is a very encouraging character in this way. Yeah. And he starts at home and he goes all the way out and he runs, wanders with Jesus, you know, faithful to the end and did great things in the kingdom. Yeah. I like, I like Andrew because um, when you think about the most well-known apostles, you don't usually think of Andrew. Um, you right. think of Peter and John and Paul or James, you know, kind of Jesus is what would later become kind of his inner circle of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, the ones that went on the mountain of transfiguration, the ones that went a little bit further in the garden and that kind of thing. And Andrew is not one of those, you know, famous apostles. Um, but he's the one that really kind of got one of them started anyway, you know, his brother right. was with Peter and without Andrew, you know, would Peter have met Jesus? You know, Andrew's the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Um, right. and, and that really just shows the, the power uh, and really the simplicity of evangelism, like what you were talking about, you know, Patrick, like it, all that it takes, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be the best of the best. You just have to be someone that's willing to take someone by the hand and bring them to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and anyone that knows a little bit about Jesus can do that. Andrew didn't know very much about Jesus, but he knew <laughs> enough to bring his brother there. Yeah, this is the Lamb of God. We're, that's it. That's what we got. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, the lepers at Samaria. You remember during the siege, and they're sitting there, and they ask a pretty good question. You know, they're they're kind of in between. They're the why sit we here until we die? And they realize if we go in the city, what is going to happen? We'll die. <laughs> if we go out to the enemy, what's the worst thing that could happen? We'll die. <laughs> so, so they go for it. They get out there and they find, you know, from what the army had abandoned, there's all the supplies and wealth and everything. They start getting it. And then some of, somebody among them says, what? This isn't right. Yeah. This is a day of good news. You know, we've got good news here and we're going to be held accountable if we're not sharing it with other people. So they go back and they share the good news. And that's what Andrew's doing here. He's, right. he's got good news and he's sharing it. Any other comments on Andrew? Yeah. Just one more thing. I remember what someone said. I, I think, I think it was recently I heard Patty Kendall ball say this. I don't know if I can't remember if it was Patty or not, but he said that it's, it, is kind of frustrating to him if it was patty i don't want to someone said it was frustrating to them whenever they hear someone say that they just don't know like they're not a good teacher they they don't know you know how to how to you know teach people and so they don't go out and evangelize something to that effect and he said if you're a christian you know at least one thing about jesus <laughs> um, right. and you know talk about that one thing <laughs> with, with people um, and, and again, you know, that's, that's Andrew here. He knows one thing at this point. Um, I think it's really easy to make excuses when it comes to evangelism. Um, it's really easy to come up with all of the reasons why you shouldn't be the one, or you, you aren't the best one to go and share the gospel with someone. Um, but sharing the gospel is, is pretty simple. Um, and if you became a Christian yesterday, you understand more than most people. Yep you know, right. share that information. All right. Well, I was going to say one, one thing to add to that is we live in a society that uh, emphasizes specialization and applauds that sort of specialized skill set, uh, which often means that we don't ever have to try to do that because that's not our specialty. 
And, and wow. the story of Andrew is just completely the opposite. Um, if anyone's specialized, it might have been his brother Peter. I mean, Peter is the one that we kind of know is the great one of the great apostles. Um, and Andrew was just, he was also an apostle. Uh, but but he did the, he did the work just the same, even if he wasn't a, a, a you know, the Apostle Paul seemed specialized. He had a, a great skill. Well, Andrew just invited somebody and, and it that can um, encourage us to not not give in to the way the world looks at things. Oh, I'm not specialized enough. I, I don't have that training. I don't have that skill set. I don't know the tools and the tricks. It's just inviting people and talking to people. You know, and <clears throat> Jesus being the bread of life, you know, we're, we're not, we're not over here trying to pr prepare gourmet meals, if you will. It's really just the simplicity of, of, of yeah. the gospel. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I, when I first started preaching years ago, I was very self-conscious about my ineptitudes and, and a, and a friend of mine said, so what, if you're only making hamburgers, at least they're being fed. You don't have to make filet mignon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it's like, Okay, I can make hamburgers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and when we get to the character Dan's going to be bringing out, you know, this, this is not a woman who, you know, has gone to a seminary or, or read a bunch of books on evangelism and will enjoy seeing what she does there. But now we're going to move from Andrew, who was a fisherman up in Galilee, to Nicodemus, who was part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Senate, very important man. Mm -hmm. Jonathan? Yeah, so he, he's first introduced, uh, he shows up, if I remember correctly, I think three times in, in the Gospel of John. The first time is in John chapter 3, um, and that's where he's introduced John 3 verse 1 as a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, um, and in his first interaction with Jesus in verse 2, it says he came to Jesus by night. Um, and, and he uh, says to him, Rabbi, uh, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, so he comes kind of privately, quietly under the radar to acknowledge that, you know, Jesus is someone special, but he's still got some questions for, for Jesus. Um, Jesus first responds to him in verse three, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's kind of the first point where Nicodemus gets confused. Um, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, and Jesus sort of clarifies, but still some kind of difficult uh, way of Jesus speaking in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Um, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And in verse nine, you get another glimpse into Nicodemus. Again, he says, how can these things be? So uh, in his interaction, and Jesus is kind of baffled uh, in the next verse, in verse 10, you know, are, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't understand all of this stuff? Um, uh, and, and Jesus has various different things to say, talking about his eventual sacrifice and comparing that to Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, that bronze serpent to save the Israelites, and um, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and, and various different things through the rest of chapter three. But the first time you see Nicodemus, he's introduced as kind of this, this timid follower of Jesus or, or want to be follower of Jesus. He at least, you know, kind of sees, yeah, Jesus is kind of impressive. 
Um, the things that he's doing, no one can do that unless God's with him. So he must be from God. And so he, he comes and, you know, respectfully, you know, addresses him as teacher or rabbi. Um, but he's confused and kind of distanced um, in, in his interaction with Jesus. And what I really like about Nicodemus, because I don't want to get caught in the weeds of talking about breaking down everything in John chapter three, we might do that at a different time. But what I like about Nicodemus is as you move through the gospel of John, you see him continually start to grow more and more. Um, and so first time he's just short of failure when he, when he, uh, when he interacts with Jesus, the next time he shows up is in John chapter seven. Um, and this is a time where uh, the Pharisees have sent to arrest Jesus, um, and uh, those that were the officers that were sent to arrest Jesus are uh, sent away from Jesus. Uh, you know, saying, you know, we've never heard anyone speak like him. We can't, we can't arrest him. Um, so it's uh, John chapter seven and verse forty-five. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, "Why did you not bring him? Why did you not bring Jesus?" Um, and the officers answered, no one has ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived by him? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know that the, the law is accursed. Um, and then Nicodemus pipes up uh, in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them, he was one of the Pharisees, one of the, the Sanhedrin, one of the officials. Um, he had gone, uh, he was one of them and he said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Um, and they replied, are you also from Galilee too? See, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So here, Nicodemus is kind of, again, timidly standing up for Jesus. Um, there's this situation where the Pharisees hate Jesus and their hatred continues to grow throughout the gospel of Jesus for what he's doing. Um, and they try to arrest him and they're arrogant and don't want to pay attention to any of the signs that he's doing um, and arrest him without a trial and get rid of him and kill him. And Nicodemus is kind of standing up for him a little bit. He says, you know, isn't it even our own law being broken here, aren't we supposed to just, you know, give him a shot, listen to him, see what he has to say, investigate before we make our judgment uh, on him. And the, the Sanhedrin and the rest of the Pharisees kind of snap back on, on Nicodemus and, and like he's uh, kind of abandoned them and started following uh, Jesus here. But then we don't see Nicodemus again until after Jesus has died and is resurrected. Um, and before we get there, Scott, were you going to make a point? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, discuss this a little bit more in detail before we go sure. to that last one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've heard people say that in John three, we don't know why Nicodemus came by night. Yeah. Because the text just says he came by night. And that's right. You, you need to care, be careful not to be presumptuous. Yeah. But when we start putting this in the next text together, I think it's pretty clear why he came by night. Mm -hmm. What can we tell? about what Nicodemus has done or has not done based on this uh, discussion right here in 48, 49 through 52. Yeah, and, yeah and, and 48, so, so Nicodemus in, uh, in verse 50, it makes it very clear, Nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. <laughs> he's, uh -huh. he's one of the Sanhedrin. But in, verse, yeah, but in verse 48, the Pharisees, are under the impression that none of them have believed in Jesus. So you can obviously, you know, infer 
Nicodemus has not shared <laughs> that he spent some time going to Jesus. It's not public knowledge that Nicodemus has went to Jesus before. Which starts to share some insight on why probably Nicodemus the first time went by night. Mm-hmm. And that we know that you're from God. So I think this is a very powerful image here. Mm-hmm. The, you, you've got this, this elite condescending arrogance that's also swamped in ignorance. And I tell you what, you will, you will meet arrogant people who are intelligent and they can be hard to take. You will meet ignorant people who are not arrogant and it can be wonderful to work with them. But one of the worst combinations is arrogance and ignorance combined. And that's what you have here in the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus knows the obvious. Nobody could do these things unless God was with him. The Sanhedrin is denying that, and they're irritated with these officers that went. And this multitude that knows not the law are accursed, have any of the leaders believed, uh, or the authorities or Pharisees. And Nicodemus goes, and he doesn't say, I believe, but he says, well, shouldn't we, you know, does our law judge man without first hearing him? Mm-hmm. And even though he's not stating belief, he's not he's not following with their aggression and their yeah. attack, and that's enough that they spin on him. Are you from Galilee too? And again, you see the condescension. By the way, is it true that no prophet arises out of Galilee? No. So remember that back in Matthew four, it talked about the prophecy about the light you know, that would come like up in the land of Naphtali and everything. All right, go ahead, Jonathan, take us to the next one. Yeah, so so you see slight improvement, but still not all the way there yet on Nicodemus's part until we get to John chapter 20 or John chapter 19. Um, and this is after uh, Jesus has been crucified and uh, he's, he's died and they're uh, going to take him off of the cross and bury him. And uh, we have the guy that, that everyone commonly associates with this story, Joseph of Arimathea, who shows up. So John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. So he has kind of a commonality with Nicodemus there as well. Um, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and took away his body. And in verse 39, Nicodemus also, and it mentions here in the text, like what you said, Scott, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. So it mentions there in verse 39, previously Nicodemus had come by night. I assume that why that's there in the text, and you guys can give your thoughts on this as well, is to show that what Nicodemus is doing here is opposite of what he did previously. Um, he came He came previously by night, but now he's not hiding it anymore. Um, same as, as Joseph of Arimathea. Previously, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, but he's coming full force now, coming to get the body of Jesus and, and honor him. And Nicodemus is right there with him. So he's come full circle at this point. Doesn't matter what the Jews think now or what they're going to do. I'm going to publicly kind of affirm I'm a disciple of Christ now. And that's huge growth on the part of Nicodemus and Joseph. Go ahead, Scott. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that, that Joseph of Arimathea came boldly mm-hmm. 
so that, that that contrast that you're developing there very good yeah yeah, yeah. and and so um nicodemus is there are a lot of things we can learn from nicodemus but i like his growth nicodemus would not be the character that he is in the scriptures without this story though in in john chapter 19 there are a lot of people um, that were similar to Nicodemus that I, it seems like the text of the scriptures say they stayed where Nicodemus was and didn't go to where Nicodemus went. Uh, and so earlier in, in John 12, um, in the gospel of John, it mentions some of the other Pharisees who believed in Jesus. Um, and, and I'll just read this and then make one more point from a text in Matthew, um, a good lesson to learn from Nicodemus in John 12 and verse 42, uh, uh, after Jesus is doing some teaching in the synagogues and, and reading from Isaiah, um, in verse 42, it says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Um, and this, this was Nicodemus at one point. Um, he believed in Jesus, but he was afraid. Uh, for whatever reason, and so he didn't confess it publicly until he finally comes full circle in John 19. Um, and so the lesson to learn from Nicodemus and from these other Pharisees and from Joseph, you know, all in that same boat, is it's not enough to just inwardly believe in Jesus. It has to be a, a public commitment. It has to, you know, change our lives. Um, and that's one of kind of the necessary steps of coming to Christ is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul will say that in Romans chapter 10, but Jesus also says that in Matthew 10. So this is the last thing I'll say. And then if you guys have more comments in Matthew 10, verse 31 or 32 and 33, Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Uh, doesn't get any more plain than that. Um, and that's, that's the story of Nicodemus. He starts off kind of wanting to get as close as possible, but not really fully going into his relationship with Jesus. And thankfully, looks like at the end of the story, doesn't, uh, or doesn't you know, value the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. He's ready to publicly announce Jesus is the one who I'm going to be with. I'm a disciple of Christ. Um, and that's, you know, the decision that all of us need to make. But if we don't, Jesus makes it very clear. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Dan, Patrick, anything to add? I, I think it's neat to, to see the, the growth in Nicodemus. Um, it's, it's realistic. It's, it's, it feels natural. Yep. You know, it's not... Um, Nicodemus's growth doesn't necessarily have miraculous changes connected to it. He, he knew about the miracles, but um, it, he just seems like a, a regular human being with regular growth. And that's, that's identifiable. And what's really compelling is when, when it was that he chose to be um, uh, all in, uh, really, really uh, serious about his faith uh, was quite possibly one of the most dangerous times to be that way they just murdered the guy and that's when nicodemus comes out um within hours he comes out as being somebody who is going to um stick his neck out for jesus uh and the 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 apostles they were long gone they they weren't coming out uh, but but he did and that's uh sometimes um, when, when we're talking with people or we're sharing our story in our life, and we're trying to learn the story in the life of somebody else. We need to 
appreciate the differences in each other, because it very well could be that my um, decades of faith is going to uh, be a really uh, dark light in comparison to somebody who comes out in a, in a big moment and in a big way yeah. uh, to be a blessing to me. I think Nicodemus would have been a blessing to the other 11 apostles and how, how bright he was shining. Mm-hmm. Patrick. I find it very encouraging that one so learned as Nicodemus and, you know, so, you know, he was you know, kind of a, he was a big dog in, in this society and that, yet <clears throat> he's just got that real struggle, that real internal pain. And the fact that he turns, like Dan said, at that pinnacle moment is, is very encouraging for those out in, in the world who are like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I know who Jesus is, but I just don't think I can get there kind of thing. You know, I'm not sure I, I, I'm good enough or whatever. And Nicodemus, you know, once they, once he sees the uh, Messiah crucified, he's like, all right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And so I think as, as we're going about our lives, uh, you know, in our personal lives, as well as our, in our, our studies with others, it's about bringing people to see the Messiah crucified and bringing ourselves to do the same as we take up our own crosses that we would, you know, be, be reconciled to him in that moment. And I think it's fascinating how the trek of Peter and the apostles is exactly opposite of Joseph and Nicodemus. Uh, when the rich young ruler went away and wouldn't give up things, Peter pointed out, we have given everything up. And, and Peter had left his boat. He'd followed and followed. And when he said, I'm willing to die, I, I think he meant it. And with only two swords among the apostles, he was ready to go back against a big group of armed men. Peter was trying to go all in, and then Jesus gave up. Jesus that could do anything gave up. Jesus that could have stopped it, let the bad guys win. And Peter, it's like all of a sudden he's, you know, Wiley Coyote over the cliff with, with no foundation in, in his mind, and he's like, Ah, and, and he crashes and burns. Joseph and Nicodemus knew good and well that they had not been all in. Mm-hmm. And I think they would have had a sense of guilt. And it's like, I should have said more. I should have stood up more. Yeah. Uh, know that uh, at least with Joseph Arimathea, it said that he did not consent to it. But it also says that previously he had been his disciple but secretly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. to have not done everything you could, and then he's been crucified, and these guys are now compelled to stop and think about it. Jesus just died. Who usually takes care of the dead person? He takes Family. responsibility. Family you know, friends. Friends and stuff. Instead, it sees two relative strangers. Yeah. And as, as you guys have already pointed out, the apostles, you know, scattered. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So you look, go ahead, Jonathan. One more thing too, um, that just just to bring it home one more time, there comes a point in time in everyone's life where they need to personally decide who Jesus is going to be to them. Amen. Um, and and I love the question that Jesus asks all throughout the Gospels. I can't remember the references and the other ones, but in Luke chapter nine, when he's talking with the apostles, he he asked them, "Who do men say that I am?" And they answer, "You know, some Elijah, some some you know Moses, some one of the prophets." Um, some Jeremiah and, uh, but then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter has that famous statement. You are the Christ of God. Um, all of us need to answer that question. And and in John chapter 19, Joseph and Nicodemus come to the point where they need to answer that question. Who is Jesus to me? And they decide he's the Christ. 
um, and they're going to follow him and all of us. That's the all important question any of us can answer in our lives. Amen. All right. So we started with a fisherman that became a disciple of John the Baptist, finds out who, who the Messiah is and, and, and brings his brother Peter. Then we went to a really, really important guy that was part of the Jewish Senate, Sanhedrin. Now we're going to go to the Samaritans, and we're going to go to a Samaritan woman who has had her issues. One of the more fascinating interactions in the New Testament Gospels of uh, Dan started taking us there. Yeah, in in John chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus and, and his interactions with the woman at the well, or with the Samaritan woman who's at the well. And uh, from, from John chapter 3, Jesus, he's talking to the most powerful kind of a person in, in the area. Uh, and in John chapter 4, he's talking to the lowest of the low. He's talking to an outsider, and he's talking to a woman, which in that culture meant double outsider, um it just just not the not the interactions that should be happening not the sort of connections that people expect and i think that you know and that sometimes we can impose oh it must have been that way back then they must have had a hard time but but it comes out in the storytelling when when jesus first speaks to her he asks her for a drink of water in verse seven she reacts with how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And so she is throwing it all right out there. And she, so it, it, it isn't, I wonder if that was an awkward moment. Uh, she is saying, you know, this is an awkward moment right here. Uh, and, and that's kind of what's interesting about this lady is that there are so many different ways that you can read um, her statements. You can read them with irony. You can read them with fear. You can read them with anger. Uh, it, it's really interesting to figure out what was her attitude, because it could have been, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me? Or she could have been really, really timid. How? Because, wow, how is it you, a Jew, would ask me, this little person? And we don't know. Um, I kind of think she was a little bit sassy. Uh, the way that she and Jesus go back and forth makes it sound like it's a very enjoyable conversation. Um, she isn't in fear. Um, uh, reverence comes out later, but not in fear of this. This is a, a scary man. Uh, she doesn't have that image uh, about her, but she's just kind of what? What are you talking to me for? Later on, when the apostles come back and they see that Jesus is talking to this lowly outside, no, you know, lady. You can you can tell that they're like well somebody should be saying something to Jesus but none I'm not going to say it they, they they won't say it so you can tell that that's John is letting us know that this was supposed to be an odd or a funny little moment in time and when you read through it you really get that sense she's just such a fun lady um, what are you talking to me for essentially is what she says in verse nine and then Jesus answers well you know I can give you something better than you could ever imagine I can give you this water and she uh, shoots right back at him in verses 11 and 12 how are you going to get water you know he had no way of getting into the water. how are you going to get water are you better than Jacob our father and and, and so she just kind of um I want to be careful here she's kind of you know sassing back or kind of throwing an insult right back how you can't get any water from here your arm isn't long enough how are you going to get down to that water and you know uh, this 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 well has great cultural heritage are you better than our heritage and jesus answers right back 
again, he, he keeps aiming it towards spiritual things. And she's not fighting against that, but she's just speaking like kind of like a, a normal situation. And when he says, uh, you know, if you knew who I was and what I could give, I could give you the water, you'd never be thirsty again. Uh, that verse 15 is again, one of those moments where I wonder what was the, the tone of voice when she speaks, um, sir, give me this water so that I will not uh, have, be thirsty or come here to draw water. Um, is she sincere or is she like the average person? Sure. Let me have some of that. I'll never have to drink water again. I think um, latter. And, 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 and even if it's the sarcasm, you know, the latter, that's not bad. What this does to me is um, a lot like what I was thought is appealing with the long story of Nicodemus over the, the, the different chapters in John is that this is a, this is a real person. Um, you can you can kind of imagine what she looks like. She might look like your aunt. She might look like someone you know, and 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 you can put her voice into it. And that's what really makes this so compelling is that the storytelling draws us in to think that this is a real moment. We're watching a reality TV. You know, this is this is happening right before our eyes. So that when Jesus impresses her with his power in a miracle, and he tells her all about him herself. Um, he, you know, she says, I'm not married. And Jesus says, you got that right. You know, you <laughs> five men and the guy you have with now, he's not your husband. And she's just kind of dumbstruck. She has her question that she asks in verses 19 and 20. I perceive you're a prophet. You say we go to, I, I always translate this to church because I think about it in 21st century. You say we're supposed to, supposed to go to church down in town. And we say we're supposed to go to church up in the, up in the mountain. And, you know, worship the temple would be the idea there. And she's asking him a question. And it's kind of fun. A lot of people wonder, is she trying to uh, turn the conversation away from a discussion about her personal life? Um, or is this a moment where she uh, takes the opportunity to ask a spiritual question from a spiritual teacher, not just a rabbi, but she's calling him a prophet. And oddly enough, I'm usually throwing out my opinions that she's sassy and it's always sarcastic. But when I get to this line, I, I usually think that she's like, this is, a, this is my chance. I'm going to ask one of the tough ones. Everyone's debating about what church you should go to. You know, where are we supposed to worship God? And so she throws him this eternally complicated question. And Jesus gives her an answer that's just phenomenal. He says that you're wrong about where to worship but he says it in a way that's really polite he also says it doesn't really matter that you're wrong because a new thing is coming that's what jesus is introducing right and so it's encouraging she finds out she's wrong and she finds out that something encouraging is coming and that god is seeking out people seeking out someone like her and, and jesus's answer to her is just just really great um I, I work really hard to try to figure out if I find out that somebody's doing something wrong, how do I tell them that it's wrong in such a way that it'll be actually encouraging to do right? And Jesus does it well here. And she responds um, perfectly. She drops her bucket and runs off to town. And, and like Scott, like you mentioned, the, the, the comparison with, with Andrew, Andrew goes off and gets Simon Peter and um, talk about a successful event evangelistic campaign um 
everyone he asked came. Uh, uh, I don't know if he asked anybody other than Peter, but Peter came and Peter's a significant guy. She goes to town. She impresses them with the point of the miracle. He told me all about my life. You need to come out and hear this guy. And everyone in town comes out and listens to Jesus. So that says a lot, not just about her conversation back and forth with Jesus, about how she's real and she kind of laughs or she might feel intimidated. And then she kind of works up the nerve and asks a spiritual question, a tough question. And she listens. She listens to Jesus's answer. She cares about it, um, even if it's pointing out that she's wrong or she's been doing something wrong in her life. So that's, that says a lot about her heart. And then her interest and care for others, uh, eventually, um, in verse 42, after the Samaritans had, had listened to Jesus, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Mm-hmm. She apparently had said a lot, or the one thing she said was convicting enough that it created and led to belief in everybody that they then clearly they had to move on they needed to move on to their own belief but she spoke in a way to her friends and her family and her countrymen uh, with a very convicting uh, heart and so maybe maybe it goes right back to to who she is the whole time um, helps with her outreach she's sincere she listens um, she's willing to joke. <laughs> it sounds like to me that she's telling, not telling jokes, but she's joking around in the chapter. She just seems like a very natural, uh, she's, she's comfortable with herself. And when she finds out things that might not be good about herself, she doesn't hide from the reality. Uh, she accepts it, whether she likes it or not, and she moves forward. And those qualities about her probably helped the way she um, spoke to everybody in town and, and made a difference for everybody in town. Mm-hmm. So let's look at uh, a principle that Jesus says in the very next chapter and notice how it relates with this woman and notice how it relates with Philip and Nathaniel uh, and Nicodemus. So in John five thirty one, Jesus is going to say something very important. Jesus is going to say, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, not true. He says, here are the witnesses, and he cites external witnesses, John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. the miracles, the works the Father gave me, Mm -hmm. the prophecies, look at those. And of course, then the gospel is going to end with the great witness of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So let's back up and see how this works. Philip and Nathaniel, after Andrew goes and gets Peter, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. And what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good... Well, what does what does Philip say? I'm sorry. What does yeah. Philip say? We found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Yeah, kind of like you know this woman. You know, it, it, it's like no, he's not. He's not buying into this. But then Philip said something really important. He said, "Come and come and see." And what did Nathaniel? What was he willing to do? Come and see. As he's approaching, Jesus sees Nathanael and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael says, How do you know who I am? (laughs) And Jesus says, 
I saw you before you came here. You were sitting under the tree. Yeah, the fig tree. And Nathaniel goes, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and Jesus says, you believe because I said I saw you in the fig tree? You're going to see bigger stuff. But you, you see that transition point, all right? Nicodemus. Why does Nicodemus say we know you're from God? Besides we know you're from God. Yeah, nobody could do these things except God was with him. What's Nathaniel realize? This man would not have known where I was except God is with him. Mm -hmm. And th that's where this woman was. This, I don't think the woman is saying, oh, give me this living water so I won't ever have to come here again. She's got no reason to believe Jesus yet. Yeah. <laughs> There's been no sign. There's been no revelation. She's, yeah, she's, she's kind of smarting off. And uh, yeah, and they're, okay, yeah. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You know, where do you get that living water? And then he says, you know, if you drink this, you'll be thirsty again. The water I give, sir, give me this water, and I won't have to come here anymore. And he goes, go call your husband. And in the Greek, there's no word for husband. It's just man. Go call your man. And in the Greek, it's, I have no man. And Jesus said, you're right saying you have no man, for you've had five men, and the one you have now is not your man. Boom, <laughs> you know, mic drop. Suddenly her tone changes. And like uh, Dan said, whether it's, here's a chance to ask a question or let's move from a different subject. But either way, she is now realizing what Nicodemus realized. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do that unless he was from God. Come see a man who told me all things. And so, and of course the gospel of John ends with these things are written so that you will believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these signs are what people, Jesus didn't want people to just believe gullibly. Mm -hmm. It's when you see the evidence, that's when we need to step up and realize. Yeah. Uh, any final comments, anybody? Yeah, and given, I really, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. Given that she's had, you know, these five five men and the one she's with now isn't hers, it, it, it's kind of, it's like, who would, who would, even talk with her you know in the religious establishment she's she's just on the outs with all those people anyway so then all this movie like i think i'm talking to a prophet here <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like that's not normal people don't just know stuff about you okay so let me ask you the big question we're all asking ourselves these days you know it's, that's how i always i always take that because it's like she's so far outcast that this is weird that she's even in a conversation with someone like this and it's kind of a neat situation for her and of course she just you know, she's probably pretty gregarious anyway. I mean, she's comfortable with men, obviously. Um, <laughs> a little too comfortable. <laughs> but then she's just off and she's like, this is this guy. He, he's just, he's told me all the things I did. And you all know some of the things I did. And, <laughs> you know, but he knew and he's not of us. He's a Jew. And that alone, the fact that there's a Jew out there wanting to talk, you know, wanting to talk to her, that, that would be cause for them to be like, what is going on with this guy? It's a very strange behavior and then of course jesus does what he does <laughs> so jesus came to seek and save the lost and sometimes it's a galilean fisherman sometime it's an important member of the sanhedrin sometime it's this sarcastic samaritan woman with a sordid past and jesus is there for them all and there for us and they all realized who he was and we need to yeah. Yeah. And like Amen. you said, Scott, the common theme between all of them is they took the time to come and see. 
Um, it, it, one thing that I've noticed is um, with a lot of people who are skeptical of Jesus or skeptical of the Bible or skeptical of God or, or whatever, almost every time they haven't taken the time to see for themselves. They've heard, they've heard a lot of statements made about the scriptures that, you know, everyone else has made or about what Christianity is or about who Jesus is. Um, and, you know, heard about the, the, all the inconsistencies in the Bible and those sorts of things. Most of the time, those people haven't actually sat down and seen Jesus for themselves, taking the time to read through the Gospels, see the life of Jesus, understand who he is. Um, and so that's, you know, a, a challenge that I'll just kind of leave with. If you haven't taken the time to see for yourself, go and see. Um, you know, it's, it's not really fair to come to a conclusion if you haven't investigated for yourself. So investigate and then make your conclusion. Made all the difference for, for Andrew, made all the difference for Peter, all the difference for Nicodemus, all the difference for, for this woman and John for as well. So, Amen. And so much of it is fun reading. Yeah. You know? Just really fun stories of, of people, people getting to, to, getting to know God and uh, the, yeah. the sticky situations and the good blessings. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for your discussion, taking us through those uh, stories today. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. And like we said, uh, as we wrap up today, if you have any comments or questions about those uh, particular characters or, or any other Bible passage you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv um, and we'll be monitoring those and, and be able to answer your questions in our future shows um, on Tuesdays. But that's all that we have for this week. And so we'll see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing. Take care, y'all.